Well, we're going to get back into Beatitudes tonight, although I had a great time last Sunday night. How about you guys? It was awesome. Uh, I didn't think about recording the little thing, the message I told to the kids, but I was kind of trying to interact with them. But uh, I am recording Sunday morning sermons and Sunday nights. I don't know if you own Facebook. If you saw this morning, I'll link to where you can go listen to them on the church Facebook page now, so it's easier to find. But if you know somebody that's not technologically savvy and needs copies, I can make copies for CDs if you'll let me know because I record them. That way, if you, if you miss out, uh, you can go back and listen later. Tonight we're in uh, verse number 7, which to me may be the hardest one out of all of the Beatitudes. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read through all of them again, but we're going we're to look at verse 7 tonight. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Looking at the idea of showing mercy. Uh, I had a teacher at Mackey the last time I was there, still running a Bible college, and her name was Wendy Guthrie, and she taught an English class. Uh, and when you looked at the syllabus in the last month of class, there was a day on the calendar that said Day of Grace. And she didn't say anything about this for about three or four months, and then one day somebody asked Miss Guthrie, what's the Day of Grace? And in her schedule, she said, any assignments that you had missed during the entire course, of that class, any assignment that you had gotten a bad grade on and you wanted to re 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 resubmit it, she would take all work that hadn't been completed or that had been failed and she would regrade it on that day of grace. Uh, because of that day of grace, I went from having a high C to an A in that class. So I appreciated her grace, uh, but she did it for every class and she just felt like that Bible college students, especially those of us who were doing ministries and had families that you just needed a little bit of help sometimes. So I appreciated the fact that she was a merciful professor because I've had some in other places that wasn't going to fly. So I appreciate mercy. Tonight we want to look at what Jesus is talking about when he says, you are fortunate. Remember the word blessed, you're fortunate. Or in some, some scholars say, you are to be envied when you show mercy. And like I said, these have actions that we have here in this lifetime. The first one, being poor in spirit, has an immediate payoff. You are welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. That's present tense. The last one, those who are persecuted, they are part of the kingdom of heaven. That's present tense. But all of the rest of these, you get tastes and glimpses of them here in this life, but ultimately the payoff is in the future. It's delayed gratification. And the idea they will be shown mercy is a thing that's off in the future. Now this morning we talked about how when Christ returns, we're all going to have to stand before him and be judged. And that's what Jesus is referring to. He says, you will be shown mercy when we stand before Christ. Number one, we're going to be shown mercy if we are covered in his blood, if we've been baptized into his name, our sins are forgiven. And instead of getting the judgment that is due us, we will receive mercy. That's a promise given to those who are Christians. But notice what it also says here. In order to receive that mercy, now we get it because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's why we're saved. That's why our sins are forgiven. But much like our Sunday school lesson this morning, talking about faith without works being dead or, or not complete, 
Jesus has a lot to say about those who don't show mercy. And keep in mind the people that are listening. I pointed this out when we first started. You have his apostles, those hand-chosen guys that are right there at his feet. You have the ones that are called disciples who follow him around and listen to him and go wherever he goes. Then you have these groups of people that are just curious. They want to hear what Jesus has to say. And this is early on in his ministry, so there are a lot of them. But then on the skirts, the the, the fringes, you have the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And they have been there the whole time. They were actually out listening to John the Baptist when he was preaching. John actually addressed them. So when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, everybody that is hearing this probably has a different idea of what it means to be merciful. And we may all be the same way here tonight. I gave a very vivid example of being given grace and mercy by a professor. But how many of us in here at some point in our life have been the recipient of grace and mercy when you didn't deserve it. And you you don't have to share, but we have all experienced that in our lifetimes, I'm sure. Perhaps there were times when we deserved punishment and for whatever reasons our parents or grandparents or the adults that were in charge didn't punish us when we deserved it and we were given mercy. I mentioned that the very first sermon or the very first lesson in this, that this is a path that we are walking along. You have to begin at the poor in spirit, and then you progress and you move along. And you can kind of look at these things to see how you're progressing in your faith. And by the time you get to this point, you are really living out a faith, like James is talking about. You have faith that has some action behind it. The beginning, these first ones I've mentioned, are our relationship between us and God, recognizing that we're lost without Him, mourning over our sin, humbling ourselves before God, and then hungering and thirsting for the things of God. But now it's going to switch gears, and it deals with our relationships with other people, and it begins with mercy. It begins with us returning the favor that has been given to us. The Pharisees that Jesus is talking about, and we're going to look at a passage here in just a minute where Jesus addresses them again. The Pharisees were meticulous about the rules and the laws. There are a lot of people who are just sticklers for every little detail. I'm not one of those people. I I follow the law. I follow the rules. But if I can bend them sometimes or circumnavigate them, I'm okay. Uh, Perhaps I shouldn't share this, but if I'm on an interstate highway and the speed limit is 65, I may go 68 because I know I can get away with it. And I I confess that's wrong. But we, we do things like that. But the Pharisees, I mean, they measured every little bit that they were supposed to tithe. In fact, this passage we're going to look at in just a minute, that's what Jesus is talking about. And not only were they meticulous about the law and meticulous about all these rules, they added rules and they added regulations and they just made sure that you followed them to the letter of the law. And there was no grace or no mercy. If you messed up, that was it. They came down on you hard. And Jesus is talking to those people too and they are hearing this And it's just interesting that this group of people that were so meticulous, that just worried about every little detail, these are the same people that lied to condemn Jesus. But if you remember, they they refused to go into Pilate's temple because they didn't want to dirty themselves in the law. They could lie and have a trial that was totally against their law because that fit what they wanted to do. But then something as simple as going into Pilate's palace because he was a Gentile, they wouldn't do that. And that's the people that Jesus is dealing with. So the question is, and this is one we have to ask ourselves because we are given the opportunity to show mercy every single day of our lives. 
Sometimes it's on a small scale, sometimes it's on a large scale. Sometimes it's easier to show mercy than it is others. There's sometimes people do things to us and they say things to us and just to be honest, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it. I'll confess, last Sunday when I heard this story about this little five-year-old kid being shot in his head, the parent and the grandparent and me, like they need to take that guy out by and I had to stop myself. I had to stop myself. If someone did something like that to my child or my grandchild or my wife or my mother or my family, I would really be tested in this. Now, I'm not saying that that person doesn't need to be put on trial and whatever the law decides, that's fine. But me personally taking vengeance against someone, that's not being merciful. So the question is, is why should we show mercy? And I think it's quite simple. Flip over a chapter to Matthew chapter 6. If you ever wonder why we should respond in love, why should we respond in love and mercy and grace, especially to those people in our minds that don't deserve it? Are there people that we see living in our lives that they asked us honestly, we think they deserve a break or deserve grace or deserve mercy? And if we're honest, there are people that we think don't deserve it. So why should we give it? This is still in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is still teaching. He's just talked about loving our enemies. Look there in, at the end of uh, chapter 5. He says, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now that's mercy in action right there. That's mercy. I saw a vivid example of that. And perhaps you remember this years ago, this guy went up to this little schoolhouse up in Pennsylvania, Amish, Pennsylvania. And he walked in and murdered all these little girls in his schoolhouse. And his mother and his father and his wife had gathered and they were sitting in their homes after the news spread through this community that their son, their husband, had gone in and just murdered these little girls in a school. And they looked out and they saw the Amish elders coming toward their house and they were terrified. What are these people going to say to us? This person that we love brought all this anguish and these Amish men came to the door and knocked on the door and prayed for them and, and gave forgiveness. Now that's mercy. That's mercy I don't know that I would have in a situation like that. But that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus gets down here in chapter 6 and he's teaching his disciples how to pray. They ask, Lord, how are we supposed to pray? And he gives them the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then after he finished, he says, For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. And this next verse is the scariest thing in the Bible to me. I can read all those descriptions of hell and all that stuff, and it's frightening and it's terrifying. But to me, this is the most frightening thing in the Bible if you're a believer. If you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive forgive you. Quite simply, when we ask ourselves, why do we forgive others? Because we have been forgiven. Jesus himself says, how can you expect Heavenly Father to forgive you of the things that you have done, the things that at the time had not sent him to the cross, but were sending him to the cross? He says, why should the Father forgive you of all that stuff if you can't forgive your brother or your sister or something small? 
If you can't have a forgiving heart, then why should you expect to receive it in return? And that's frightening because I just admitted, I see this story last week out of Wilson. I, I think about that story with those little Amish girls gunned down, and I would have a hard time if that was my daughter or one of my boys or my grandson. My grandson turned five today, the same age as that kid that was shot in Wilson last Sunday night. And I, I would have a very, very hard time. That's just being open and honest. But I know that the correct response is to forgive. And that's difficult. Exodus 34, 6. God, in the old, this is in the Old Testament when God was giving the law. And a lot of people think that God of the Old Testament was this mean, nasty God with all these bad laws and stuff. But it says in Exodus 34, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and trust. And just this morning in 2 Peter 3, it says, the Lord is patient. That's why he hasn't come back yet, because he is patient and he is full of grace and he is full of mercy and he doesn't want anyone to perish. I try to personalize these things for my own life. It helps me understand it instead of just reading, for God so loved the world, for God so loved me that he gave his one and only son. So I look at Matthew 6, 15, but if you, Lee, doesn't forgive others, then my heavenly Father will not forgive me. Keep right on in Matthew chapter 7. And you see, this is a kind of important thing for Jesus. He moves right on. This next verse is probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible, especially by people that aren't believers or Christians. And they always quote it out of context and try to make it mean something that it doesn't mean. And we all know what it says. Chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. How many people have you ever heard say that? Especially if you're trying to convince them that something they're doing is wrong. Oh, the Bible says, don't judge lest you be judged. And they always quote it out of King James for some reason. That lest you be judged... But what is Jesus really saying right here? Well, keep it in context with what he just said. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Forgive others because you have been forgiven. The truth is, is that there is sometimes we are supposed to judge others. He, he, in just a few moments, he's going to talk about judging a tree by its fruit. Paul talks about false teachers. Peter talks about false teachers. So there are times when we look at people's actions and their deeds and we determine those are not right. That's judging people. But look what verse 2 says because they stop at verse 1. Don't judge lest you be judged. And they just leave it off there. So you can't say anything about what I'm doing. And then Jesus says, You will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own hypocrite. Jesus uses that word when he's upset and when he's bothered by something. And usually when Jesus uses this word, it's addressed that the religious leaders who are doing this very same thing. And the Greek word for hypocrite meant actor. In those Greek plays, they would wear a mask, the comedy and tragedy mask, and they would put that on their face and they would go out and pretend to be something that they weren't. And that's where that word comes from. It means to be putting on a mask and be Pretending to be something that you're not. And Jesus says, that's what you're doing. When you pretend like you've got it all figured out, when you pretend like that you don't do anything wrong, and you want to stand there and point your finger at other people. I can't remember where I first heard it, but it's cute. 
says, when you point your finger at others, remember there are three more pointing back at you. And that's true. It's cute, but it's true. Jesus says, sometimes we overlook our huge problems and our huge sins so we can nitpick at other people. And that's what the Pharisees did. That's what the Pharisees did. I do want to point out verse 5. It says, hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your own eye, then you will be, see clearly enough to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. That right there lets you know that we are supposed to deal with sin. But it's the amount of grace and mercy we use. He doesn't say just leave the speck of dust in your brother's eye. He says, get your own mess together first. That way you are better equipped to help someone. The way you judge is the way I'm going to judge you. James 2.13 talks about judgment without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Which means if we condemn, if we have a judgmental attitude, a critical attitude, if we can't let go of things, if we can't forgive, then how in the world can we expect God to forgive us? The last part of James 2.13 says mercy triumphs over judgment. And then there's a really interesting thing. If you still have your book in Matthew, flip over to Matthew 23. And once again, this is dealing with the Pharisees. Beginning in verse 23. This is a series of seven woes. That's another word Jesus used a lot of times when he was dealing with the hypocritical religious leaders. Woe. Destruction's coming on you. That's what that means. But in verse 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, and there's that word. You pay a tenth of mint and dill and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting to others. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. These guys had the system down. If the, if the Old Testament said you should tithe your mints and spices, they would do the math and figure out exactly how much it was so they weren't, to the very minute example. They wanted to make sure they got it exactly right. To put it in modern perspective, if you were wanting to tithe, you would figure out to the exact cent before taxes, and you would include everything, and you'd make sure you got every little penny in place so that you gave exactly 10%. That way you weren't breaking the law. You were keeping the law. And Jesus says, spices. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to measure out mint? To I mean, I don't even know if they make things that small. I measure out spices and I have a teaspoon. It's the smallest thing I ever use. Can you imagine having to go smaller than that? Measuring out each little grain of salt or each little flake and that's what they would do so that they could say we are righteous and we haven't broken the law. But then Jesus says they look at their brothers and there is no justice. They have no mercy and they're not even faithful. The illustration he uses is quite humorous if you think about it. They put in a filter and pour the liquid in to make sure they get a gnat out. And they're, they're tiny little pesky things. And then turn right around and swallow a camel. They missed the boat. They're so concerned about appearing righteous on the outside that it doesn't matter how they treat one another. A lot of Jesus' parables deal with this. Jesus tells a parable about a man who owed a lot of money to his master, and he went to his master and begged him, I don't have the money, please don't throw me in prison. It says the master forgave him. 
And then he went out and found a guy that owed him just a few dollars. And the guy says, I don't have it. Show me mercy. And he beats the guy and throws him in jail. And, and word gets back to the master. And he goes and finds this guy and just levels him. Drops the hammer on him. And Jesus says, we have to forgive the way we've been forgiven. Jesus has another instance where a woman comes and washes his feet and anoints his feet. And they're in the presence of this guy that's popular, has power. And he doesn't understand how Jesus is dealing with this woman. And he asks him, he says, who loves you more? The one who's been forgiven little or the one who's been forgiven a lot? He says, of course, it's the one who's been forgiven a lot. Well, let's personalize it as we finish up here in just a few moments. It's easy sometimes for us to look at sin and categorize it. And, and let's just be honest, that's a legalistic way to do it. And I'm guilty of it. I do it too. If you understand Scripture, all sin is a, separates us from God. All sin is us violating God's standards, whether it's telling a lie or whether it's murdering someone. Now, they do have different consequences here in this earth, so I'm not equating the two legally. But in God's eyes, telling a lie makes you a sinner. Murdering someone, you're a sinner. Scripture makes it very clear that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died because of what? Sin. Not just murder or rape, but for every little lie, every little impure thought we've thunk. That's a real word. <laughs> yeah, we, I'm back in the South, thunk. That's a real word. I think about Jesus when he's dealing with these religious leaders and Jesus would go through these conversations. He said, you have served, and it's in the Sermon on the Mount too, it's right there in the end of chapter 5 and chapter 6, you have heard it say, thou shalt not kill. And that was a law. And they tried to follow it. He says, but I tell you, if you tell your brother you hate him or you call him foolish, you have murdered him in your heart. He says, you've been heard it told that you shouldn't commit adultery. That was in, that's in the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. He says, but I tell you, if you look at someone and have those thoughts, it's the exact same thing. Let's be honest. We, we don't all kill people or rape people. We don't all rob banks, but do we have impure thoughts about people? Do we think bad things about people sometimes? Do we sometimes judge people without knowing the situation and the circumstances? I know I have. So you know what that makes me? A sinner. You know what that means I need? I need mercy. And the great thing is, is it's free. Everybody can have it. We meet around this table every week to remind ourselves why we have that mercy. So when Jesus says, if you don't show mercy, you're not going to get any. We have to stop and examine ourselves. Are there people in our lives that we have a hard time with and hold grudges against? Are there situations and things in our lives that we are bitter about and we just can't seem to let go? We've got to let go. We've got to forgive. And here's the part that rubbed me the wrong way for a long time. Scripture says we, we, we need to make every attempt to live at peace with others as far as it depends on us. There are some people who have hurt us and sinned against us that will never apologize. They will never make restitution. Some of them will never even admit that they did anything wrong. We still have to forgive them. We still have to let it go. God will deal with them one day. 
Scripture makes it very clear. They are going to have to stand before God the Father and answer for whatever it is they have done. We don't need to stand before God the Father and have to answer for the hate and the anger and the bitterness that we have held on in our hearts. It's the scariest thing in the Bible. And maybe we need to remind ourselves sometimes, but Jesus says it. If you don't forgive, there, I don't see any clause in there. I don't see a, a tangent where you can circumvent it or go around it. It's not like the speed limit where I, I know that the state trooper won't stop me if I'm under a certain speed. I'm still breaking the law, but I know he's not going to bother me. There's nothing in there that gives us an option. Just like where it says, love everyone, there are no exceptions. There are no clauses that omit anyone. So when Jesus says, if we don't forgive other people, he will not forgive us. That is sobering. That's frightening. But it should be a challenge to us because there are people that we have a hard time dealing with. It says love your enemies. Pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. I've learned I don't have to like everybody. And I've learned that in order to live in peace with some people, I just need to stay away from them and don't deal with them. That's perfectly fine. But i got to love them. I don't wish ill will on them. And whatever, whatever it is they've done, I have to forgive and let go and trust that God will handle that in the right time, in the right way. And I'm speaking from personal experience. I'm not going to share all the details, but it was an interesting path to get to where I'm preaching in a church full time, and I almost didn't make it because of the actions and things that some people had done. And for a long time, I wouldn't let it go. But when I finally got to the point where and I'm going to be honest, some of them never apologized. Some of them never even addressed the fact that they had done things they shouldn't have done. But I had to get to the point where I'm like, Lord, I forgive it. I let it go. And I sleep a whole lot better now. I sure do. And I know God will take care of those situations. And I feel like He has blessed me and brought me to where I am because I was willing to obey Jesus. Forgive those people. Even when it's hard. And it's hard. Sometimes it's real hard. I don't know how this family is going to deal with this over in Wilson. I just don't know. But I know that God will help them. Seems like there have been a lot of Christians reaching out not only to their family, but to the family of the shooter. His parents are wonderful people. His mother's a school teacher, good Christian woman. And I'm watching that community come together, and it makes me kind of proud because it's not my hometown, but it's close enough to see that there is forgiveness and there is grace and there is mercy going on. In church, that's what it's supposed to look like. You see where they had actually invited him over to yeah. just a week before. Yep. The man who shot his son had just been eating at the guy's house the day before, and they had a rocky relationship. They were trying to, and we don't know. And I pray for God's mercy on them because that's going to be a hard road to forgive people. We see the Christian reaction to that. You don't see riots in oh, no. burning down buildings and stuff like that. Even though we need to love George Foreman and, and whatever he was dealing with and that situation that happened was not good uh, you know, both ways, him and the, the law that was involved. But because of his death, we've seen all this closeness. But this little boy's death, we have not seen the reaction like that was done with that. And that, that speaks well. Oh, yeah. Speaks well. And here's the thing about forgiveness, too, and showing mercy. 
I mentioned that the Beatitudes are a pathway, and you can't jump in the middle of it. You have to start at the beginning. You, I don't think you can do this consistently without the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what it took for me to be able to let go of some of the things that people had done to me. And we're not talking about murder. We're not talking about that. It's just saying things. And it took the Holy Spirit to break me and say, Lee, you got to let that go. But as Christians, that's what we've been called to do, is to be merciful people. If you ever are having one of those days when you wonder, why should I let that go? Why should I forgive that person? Think about Jesus standing there as those Roman centurions were pulling the hairs out of his face. My hairs are long enough now I can pull them out, and that hurts. They spit in his face. They mocked him. They beat him. And you know what he did? Nothing. Then they drug him out, and they hung him up on that cross completely naked. None of the pictures show that, but he was completely naked, beaten to within an inch of his life, spikes driven through his wrist and driven through his feet, and they still stood there, and they hurled insults at him. They made fun of him. These same religious stood there and says, well, if you're the Christ, come down off that cross. Look, he saved other people. He can't save himself. And what did Jesus say? As he hung there on the cross for the sins, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And that's our challenge. Let's pray.